This is Public Health in Action. We're Mel and Keely, and this is the Public Health Mindset Part 2. These are my confessions. (laughs) Just like, since you told me the name of this episode, episode, I've been singing Usher. (laughs) Because (laughs) you always think of Confessions Part 2. You don't think of Confessions Part Part 1. Is it even called Confessions Part 1? I don't know. (laughs) I think it's just called Confessions. Probably. But I do, I do technically have some confessions to make already. <laughs> Did your chick on the side have one on the way? <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> Sorry, <laughs> go on. <laughs> no, I was just going to say that it's been a while since we've posted an episode, but we're working really hard. It's been about maybe a month, even. I think so. We have a lot in the works. And so aside from preparing for this episode, we have a handful of interviews for upcoming inter- episodes that we're working on and we're really excited about. Yeah, a lot of the last month has been us working on all these options and then deciding which one to go forward with for episode three. Right. And we really thought it was important to talk more about the public health mindset. Right. There's some key terms that need to be discussed. (laughs) (laughs) Just a faint in the background. Maybe we should just mention him now. I mean, we could. Um, We have a new friend. We were going to wait until the cheers to mention him, but he's (laughs) meowing from the bedroom (laughs) as we record this, and it's making us... We're not sure if it's all the feelings. Well, yes. Also, because we're not sure if it will show up in the background of our recording. (laughs) Yeah. All, all the things. Um, Mm -hmm. yeah, I have a new little kitten named Cricket and -hmm. we'll talk about him more later, but just if you hear meowing, that's, that's why it's a little 11 week old babe. (laughs) Two pound, eight ounces. (laughs) I don't, we don't know his ounceage. (laughs) Yeah. He was born during a blizzard. <laughs> no, not really. <laughs> um, but anyway, let's get back to those confessions. Right, yeah. So I wanted to talk about a couple mistakes that I made already by episode three. When reading the story about upstream thinking in the last episode, I know it as the river story, but I wanted to acknowledge that the origins of the story, I believe, have native roots. And from what I remember when I was learning about native health in school, the upstream thinking story is called the Three Sisters. But I wasn't sure of the specific origin, so I mentioned it in a different way, which is accurate, but the most likely not the origin of the story. Um, it's also different than the indigenous agricultural Three Sisters story, and practice. We were Googling it to try and find it, but we also couldn't locate this story. So if anyone knows what I'm referring to and can direct me to a resource on it, I'd love to be able to describe that story as well. Yeah, we just kept finding, which is a story I know about like the agricultural practice of the three sisters. Right. And planting. Right. Um, But yeah, we were really invested in finding it and just were unable to mm-hmm. in like the bits of research that research that we were trying to do. Right. I think that also has to do a lot with the fact that native history is passed down orally and maybe that story isn't 
really written down. I also made a comment that I'm I've been cringing about this whole month. Uh, how I in the last episode how I think it's interesting to learn about health, but you don't have to if you don't want to. And I want to acknowledge that saying that inadvertently negates a large portion of the United States and globally due to socioeconomic status, the population, the vulnerable oppressed communities that are unable to learn about their health in the way that I mentioned, um, because it's a very privileged way to talk about health and to try to promote learning about health. And I can just see my professors were probably shaking their heads (laughs) when I said that. So it's, I want to acknowledge that it's very minimizing of the people that don't have the ability or the access to learn about their health uh, because they're either families with working parents and potentially the parents work two part-time minimum wage jobs to support their family, but they don't have the ability to spend the time thinking about their health in every way um, because poverty is a barrier. And when one thing's a barrier, it often creates more barriers that can limit your access to things that are, um, necessary for your health, such as nutritional food, a quality education, safe, um, and equitable housing, transportation, etc. So it's funny having a degree in this and then recognizing that I said that statement, knowing that it's incorrect. And I want to take responsibility for it and realize that, With this podcast, I'm trying to develop my ability to speak about these topics out loud. Right. And you and I, you know, and you said your your agony of realizing that you said that. We have talked about it a lot. And I just want to go back to the idea that this podcast is meant to be conversational as well as informational, but we still want our language and communication to be intentional and effective. We're recognizing the impact that creating a public health podcast has, especially right now, Mm -hmm. because we've noticed that we have listeners in other countries already, and we want to make sure we are sharing knowledgeable and accurate information Mm -hmm. while still being relatable. And we want to make sure that we're acknowledging that this podcast has reached beyond our little apartment and the bubble of our friendship. Mm -hmm. And I know for you, Mel, your strength in communicating these topics began with writing, Mm-hmm. Um, like in education, we're both learning that we have to be intentional with how we speak about these topics on this podcast. Yeah. Uh, I think podcasting is a learning curve. Exactly. We weren't born knowing how to do this. We are <laughs> natural born I, podcasters. iPods came out when we were in high school. So. Right. Yeah, that's right. So we've had a lot of feedback on our podcast so far, a lot of positive feedback from our colleagues and our peers, but some feedback we received were a bit more critical about how we're presenting the information. And I just wanted to say that we came up with this format with a purpose, and the purpose is this, that public health includes everyone, even if you didn't study the field. So it's important to know that you have a seat at the table, and we're here to learn and share and grow with each other. Yeah, and it comes back to our idea of making public health approachable. And that's really the heart of this podcast. Um, If we became too preachy or overtly educational, as if we were reading from a textbook, then it kind of drops our initial point mm -hmm. and it can become hard to digest all that information, especially, like you said, if you're not in the field or don't know the foundations of it. Right. I won't teach about public health immediately from 
the very scientific, hard-hitting framework of specific subjects like epidemiology or pathology or public health law until I can lay the groundwork for community health. Because I think that data and health statistics are important to each topic, but I don't want to overload listeners with data. I don't want it to fall flat or not have an impact. Right. It's like if you finished only a third of a puzzle that you were working on <laughs> and then decided you had enough of the picture to have a complete Move idea. Forward. Yeah. 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 Health statistics are much more valued when you not only hear the statistic, but then you understand what is going on in the community that's experiencing these circumstances. So the lived experiences... And the people impacted humanize the statistics. And it's motivating, in my opinion, to come from that well-rounded view of health information. So right now we are just giving the basic overview of the public health mindset with community-based solutions in mind. With that said, breaking down these important concepts are vital to the health and well-being of vulnerable populations all over the nation and the world. Not only for people experiencing them, but almost more importantly for the people that have completely different life experiences. And we want to bring health disparities into the spotlight and create awareness on topics that might not be considered by the general public as something that relates to people's health. Yeah, I mean, the more you and I talk about all of these things and touch on the vast amount of topics Mm -hmm. that include or are affected by health, the more we can actually link to people's health, their mm-hmm. individual health, a community's health, etc. Mm-hmm. And it's going to use my favorite word here. <laughs> it's intersectional. Yeah. <laughs> like I made a joke to the other day that I was going to get intersectionality tattooed across my neck. <laughs> because you because we, we live in Portland. We live in Portland. <laughs> But also, first off, I would never get a ta- neck tattoo. Second, <laughs> well, we let's, are... <laughs> let's come back. To that. <laughs> right, there's still time. <laughs> I know. Um, but also, I think we're beginning to realize as a society how many things are linked and affect each other, mm-hmm. and that solidarity, solidarity, but also like. Very few issues are singular. Right. And you and I have mentioned before the idea of, you know, a domino effect Mm -hmm. and or like how you can make Venn diagrams of things and webs. And Mm -hmm. um, I think more and more people are starting to realize how many things in their life aren't singular or separate and that they actually intersect more than they previously believed right you know what's interesting too about this podcast I think like it is important to map out what we want to say in the path of this but I also think the reason why a lot of public health podcasts aren't conversational it's because there's so much pressure to make sure you are sharing the correct information especially given the climate we've been in for the last few years and all of the information about the danger of misinformation which is very accurate yes But I think also to share our passion on this subject, we have to be able to have these conversations without writing down everything we're saying because it's just... Well, and like, again, to bring an educator's perspective on things, um, our personal identities Mm -hmm. and experience 
influence how we move through everything. And that includes your job and your passions. Right. So if we... There goes a running kitten. If we, if we were to <laughs> deny that part of ourselves, mm-hmm. the emotions, the true passion, yeah. the things that we've been through in the name of being seemingly more professional. Right. I don't know that we would feel as successful in what we're making. Right. Because even if at the beginning of every episode, we have to step back a few steps and be like, we've realized some things or learned some things. Mm -hmm. I would much rather do that than make a podcast without being honest to ourselves and showing our integrity. Exactly. Very accurate. There is a method to this madness of teaching public health in this way. So for example, the way I learned about public health started with the first class I mentioned, which was called Our Community, Our Health. But it wasn't a heavy hitting science class, um, because even though studying those subjects on their own, it does make sense. Because you can learn about a singular scientific subject within health, for example, epidemiology or pathology, but it only gives you a part of the picture of what health is. So it is important to know that those subjects. Right. But I think a, a big part of that is also knowing the community that you live in or care for and knowing the health problems that impact those communities. Exactly. Yeah. Everything, I know we're getting repetitive here, guys, but hear us out. Everything comes back to being big picture and looking upstream and... Answering the question, what is community health and how do we take care of the community? Exactly. And it's like, there are... I know we were just talking about this, but there are so many communities that are good at taking care of themselves and um, and are very community-oriented. And I think there are communities in our country specifically that don't understand that. Specifically, we were talking recently, you and I, about how communities of color have a better understanding of what it means to take care of each other. Right, um, because they... And it's out of necessity. Right, because of their lived experiences. Yeah. And the need to look out for each other and support each other because they all have gone through historical trauma, generational trauma, and knowing that they're there for each other. Yeah. And I think, honestly, I think it's just now that we're learning so much from them about what it means to take care of a community and be a part of, truly be a part of community, not claim to be a part of one or like Mm -hmm. simply understand that you exist within one, but kind Mm -hmm. of ignore it, but like really be a part of your community. I feel like Mm -hmm. we've, even with the pandemic, we've learned more about our neighborhood that we live in in Portland and its history and the people here who need help and the people here who are doing help, who are offering help doing help doing help <laughs> they're doing the help <laughs> merch idea sweatshirt that says new dance grace <laughs> no. doing the help um, <laughs> sweeping the nation everybody but it all it it's 
all within that realm of not just understanding that your neighbors in your community can lift you up and that you can lift them up, but having true empathy yes. for yes. your neighbors in your community. And I think if we could somehow like ensure that everybody had it, which is impossible because it's a human development thing, but like... <laughs> That the, small subject. The, the, <laughs> yeah, we can't go there right now. <laughs> but so many communities would be better taken care of from within themselves. And I feel like everything I just said made it seem like I was like, if we were just all more community oriented, we wouldn't need public health <laughs> officials, which is not true at all. <laughs> you, know the, you know the joke that so many people bring up in public health that scene in Mean Girls where it's that girl that stands up on the stage and she's like, I just wish we (laughs) were like rainbows and whatever she says. Yeah, that's public health. That's like wanting to be there and support and... But then there's one one guy in the community that says... She doesn't even go here! (laughs) (laughs) That's me. (laughs) The SNL, did you see SNL had a skit recently? SNL... Saturday Night Live, for the people that don't live in the U.S. that are listening to this, Saturday Night Live yeah. had a skit that I think was called Five Hour Empathy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was, um, oh gosh, it was, oh, I'm not going to remember the guy's it? name. I'm not going to remember the cast member's name. But um, I know so Keenan Thompson was the mm-hmm. uh, voiceover character. The narrator? Yeah, the narrator. Yeah. Um, and I mean... We're 90s kids. How could you not recognize his voice? <laughs> Years of listening to him. Yeah. Um, but anyway, <laughs> yeah, I did see that skit. Yeah. And it, it's so funny. It was so good. So basically, we talked about in the last episode the difference between sympathy, compassion, and empathy. And it, it was just so accurate because it kind of calls out white privilege. Oh, 100%. Yeah. Does. Yeah. And given the circumstances of what we're experiencing with COVID-19 right now and the social movements that are happening, it feels like there's some important terminology to bring up within public health that they touched base on in the skit. We know that people are at varying levels with their understanding and experiences of white privilege. But yeah, like you said, the skit really goes into kind of what white privilege allows you to ignore in right. some ways. Um, Which, and it's like whether or not you choose to ignore it. Right. So their big public health concerns like structural racism, uh, profiling, systemic racism, inequality, prejudice, bias, and mass incarceration. And it is almost... In the format of a five-hour energy commercial, which is why it's so funny. Right. And the for me, the funny part of it is, is that the guy, the main character, mm-hmm. who the, the narrator is talking to, trying to convince him to drink take this five drink, hour he empathy. is the epitome of privilege. And, like, clearly there's some toxic masculinity symptoms yeah. going on there, too, <laughs> yeah. a little bit. <laughs> And even though he has this tool in his hand, the five-hour empathy to have the insight and awareness and ability to create change at his fingertips, he still didn't 
want to bother himself with figuring out what it feels like to deal with the daily social issues that many people face, which is why community health is not only important, but it gives you the tools to work with communities to be motivated to be an active participant in health behavior change. Wait, um... <laughs> what? Hold on. <laughs> what? Um, you're going over my head a little bit now. What is what is health behavior What change? is health? <laughs> Not what is health. We <laughs> talked about that in episode one. <laughs> yeah. Sorry. I'll enunciate. Uh, yeah. Hey, Mel. <laughs> What's health behavior change? <laughs> yeah. For example, smoking cessation is health behavior change. I have no idea what that word means. Smoking cessation? Cessation. Cessation. It... (laughs) I'm teaching you now. Cessation is the act of quitting smoking tobacco. So smoking cigarettes, for example. Right. That just, you know, seems like quite a flowery word for something such a simple (laughs) phrase. (laughs) Well, the simplest way to describe this effort in health behavior change is that Basically, tobacco products are bad for you. And through programs and policy change, public health officials... Officials. <laughs> Make it all Say fancy, fancy now. <laughs> Cessation. Officials. What else can we fancify oh, in this episode? <laughs> well, they promote a change in behavior for the betterment of everyone's health. And I really want to bring my drug education professor on the show since she worked for, I'm pretty sure, I think it was 25 years working against the tobacco industry. And she oh, has wow. a... Oh my god, it was fascinating. Um, she has a lot of really great stories about the programs that they implemented. Also, though, public health officials aren't here to judge people for their coping mechanisms, but rather to promote positive health behavior changes. So when it comes to drug education and smoking cessation, the focus is on harm reduction. And in the bigger scope of public health, it's the, f- the focus is ultimately the prevention of death and prolonging life. Anti-death. Anti-death. <laughs> sure, yeah. Which it seems like everybody ultimately should agree with that. <laughs> right, yeah. I mean, everyone is should be anti-death. Yes, hopefully, ideally. And, like, not to make this political, because we said we were going to work really hard yeah, not to... to- Um, Stay away from... Yeah, to stay away from politics, specifically... Well, I think one-sided... Divisive, yeah. Just... We're going to stay away from two-party politics. Right. Basically. Yeah. Um, But a huge factor of public health is helping... Policy change. Public policy change, Mm -hmm. because it helps communities grow. Right. And... In Oregon, we had some really important public policy changes occur. Oh, yeah. And we voted on and passed Mm -hmm. multiple measures that will positively influence the health of our communities here, um, which is public health in action. (laughs) (laughs) I had to sing it. It's our new theme song. Um, Just kidding. You don't want to hear me sing. (laughs) (laughs) The beginning of every episode. But... um, we were the first state in the nation in the nation to implement a lot of these changes. And the big one is the decriminalization of the personal possession of illegal drugs, including yes. cocaine, heroin, oxycodone, and methamphetamine. Right. 
So a big concept in drug education is the difference between the terms decriminalization and legalization. And I've had a lot of conversations with my friends since this public policy change has been passed. And I noticed that the terminology isn't very clear because the two terms are still being mixed up and it's not interchangeable. (laughs) Right. I have, um, I think I said this in episode one that I'm from Michigan Mm -hmm. and I have a lot of friends there posting memes that are like, Oregon loves drugs. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, no, you guys, like it's not a a free for all. There's a big difference. Um, Decriminalization does not make it legal to sell, purchase, or manufacture the drugs. It does, however, make it so that if you are found having a small amount on your person, you won't be charged with any more than a fine. And, and the, the fine that was created, it's only $100. It's only, yeah, it's basically, they. I think one news article I read compared it to like a parking violation. Right. Or, and what's so great about this is that if they are not financially able mm-hmm. to pay that fine they have the option to avoid paying by agreeing to a health assessment yes which like just freeze frame real quick while mel throws <laughs> confetti in the air and yells yay health assessments because <laughs> i would lo- so jazzed about that <laughs> I would love that job to be the person administering the health assessments just to take care of the community in that way. According to the Drug Enforcement Administration, Schedule 1 drugs are drugs that have no currently accepted medical use in the United States. So this is a big step for Oregon because we're beginning to eliminate our bias against people who use these drugs and moving forward in recognition that the people dealing with addiction are not the problem and that there's so much intersectionality within this as well, health disparities, a lack of resources, etc. And throwing someone in jail because of their addiction and their coping mechanisms, it's not fixing the problem or helping the person As a society or a community member, it's basically an attempt to sweep it under the rug. Right. And there's, I mean, we see that with so many things where we want to just put the problem or what we view as a problem in a box. Right. We want it to be invisible. And it away. Yeah. Because we should only (laughs) highlight and show success. Mm -hmm. And in reality... Even the most successful people have a support system that got them there. Right. And we need to offer those same tools of support to every member of the community. And then just to also explain about legalization, if something is legalized, it makes the product, for example, alcohol, available through legal sales and now of course alcohol you have to have a license to sell it Mm -hmm. you have to be a certain age to buy it Mm -hmm. but you can legally buy and sell it across the u.s Mm -hmm. and for anybody who might be disapproving of the passing of this decriminalization measure i just feel like there's room to grow here Mm -hmm. and even though it might be difficult to hear that phrasing and you might feel called out A lot of these changes Mm -hmm. and policy changes, especially, they're, you know, they might make you sit in your discomfort a bit, but Mm -hmm. that's what this is about. You need to be able 
to understand that just because you don't need that policy change personally yes doesn't mean that it won't positively impact your community yes. that domino effect will touch you right it will right you're going to see the change yep. in your community and you're going to feel better about it exactly and we need to be able to look inward at our biases specifically here in in this what we're discussing right now against those battling addiction. Right. So bias grows from social constructions, you know, and if we were to take a vulnerable population, for example, let's take like women in prison. There we have a strong bias that women in prison belong in prison. Right, exactly. And you and I have talked about this before too and how that goes for everyone in prison but you're you're specifically right now looking at women in prison right for the purpose just, of this discussion yeah so smaller smaller subset subgroup right. of people in prison we're just looking at women in prison um and i'm not sure how we grew to having this bias but what i learned from my criminology course which has a lot of intersectionality within public health is that 80% of women in prison are there because they were coerced by a male partner to commit a crime. Basically these women then were in abusive relationships because a healthy non abusive relationship wouldn't include coercion. Right. Yeah. And through all of the conversations we've had together, we're recognizing that the health statistics and the data are showing that there is a gap in understanding what abuse actually is. Because when people talk about abuse, most people only think about violent behavior, but abuse isn't only physical violence. And there's actually seven different kinds, which we'll talk about in detail in future episodes. Definitely. Yeah. But if you're someone who heard this and can't list the seven different types of abuse, then you are privileged if you don't know. Right. Or I also think due to maybe a specific circumstance, you're completely unaware that you're even experiencing a form of abuse. I think a lot of the time we spend comparing, at least I'm not being hit. It's yeah. not physical. So it could be worse. It could be worse. And there's mm -hmm. no, I learned this from another podcast. There's no different sizes of trauma. It's mm -hmm. all personal. Mm -hmm. And we spend a lot of time comparing, like, my trauma is smaller than that person's trauma. Mm -hmm. And we need to have empathy. We need to have empathy and we need for to For everyone's lived experiences. Their, yes, exactly. Mm -hmm. Their lived experience. Yeah. And also to kind of go off of that, you don't want to be the person that minimizes someone's lived experience right. by denying what they're going through. If someone comes to you with like an extreme situation and you're the person that listens, but you deny what they're saying because it's hard for you to comprehend. Yeah. You have to think about the psychological impact that gives the other person and how it effectively silences them and from shames. and shames them from reporting what they're experiencing mm -hmm. and how that has an impact on the community health. Well, if you, if you shame somebody for a true experience, 
That's victim blaming. It is. And using the fact that your experience, that let's say there's two people talking right. and person one shares their experience and person mm-hmm. two shames them for it because mm-hmm. they think they're, and I've been in this situation, because they think their experience, their personal experience it was worse. Right. You're not helping anybody. No. I like, think I think everyone would benefit from learning what emotional support looks like. Yes. And knowing the specific ways to effectively communicate how to support each other through difficult situations because health disparities do exist. We like to believe that they're invisible. Um, If it's not something, and the pandemic has been a great example of this where we're seeing all of these cracks in our society show up. So all of these topics are kind of in our face right now. But what's going to happen five years from now when the pandemic's over? Are we just going to continue pretending that these things don't exist unless you're working in public health and you are doing projects and working on programs that help the community? But is everyone else going to forget that these are important issues? I don't want that to happen. I hope not. Yeah, I don't want that. I hope not with everything that's come out of the pandemic. Right. Every single thing that's come out of the pandemic Mm -hmm. is only the beginning of the work that needs to be done. And we can't let any of it die out. Exactly. But basically, this is why you should care about women in prisons and also trauma-informed care. My professors often would joke before lectures about popping our privilege bubble. (laughs) (laughs) And they would warn us that we would get uncomfortable about learning something that was coming up. And then everyone would kind of sit there like, oh, God, like, what are like, we like an awkward content warning? Like, yeah, you're about to be uncomfortable. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah. Um, and it's important to become comfortable with being uncomfortable and finding productive ways to work through our pain that improves the lives of others. Because if we can't do that, if we can't meet people where they're at in life. Yep. What are we doing? Right. And and like going back to what we were just saying a bit ago and what you said of working through our pain in ways that improves the life of other, yeah. the lives of others instead of using our pain to be divisive and say, but me, but me. Mm-hmm. Like there is so much more to be done mm-hmm. through using even our worst experiences right. for the betterment of our community yep so taking that into consideration and thinking back how many people from the general public never considered that the reason that the majority of these women are behind bars because of men the 80 percent of women that were there from a coerced into committing crime it's just it's it's crazy it's just that's such a large yeah it's maddening like it's upsetting yeah and uh do you mind if I pop that bubble a bit more? The privilege bubble? Yes. Okay. <laughs> What's on your mind? Um, just to add to what you said and alter that question slightly, mm-hmm. just for some extra consideration. How just for people... some extra discomfort. <laughs> a little, little bit of extra discomfort. Just... Sit down in it. It feels nice eventually when you have a realization. <laughs> Just let it ooze over It's like you. a cup of tea. <laughs> it warms the heart. A very uncomfortable cup of tea. It's going to burn your tongue at first. And then, and then it, it feels good. You. <laughs> <laughs> but 
anyway, <laughs> to add to what you're saying, how many people in the general public never considered that the reason the majority of prisoners, all prisoners, are behind bars is because of the history of racism within the criminal justice system. Yeah. And the yeah. white patriarchy. And I'm sorry, but that's that's all I had to say. Pop. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yeah, that's a really good point. White patriarchy. It is a concept. It's a big concept. We don't have enough time in this episode to talk about it, but we will talk about it in future episodes. Um, but for now, let's just talk about... Women, let's rein it back and talk about women in prisons yeah, you real quick. better rein it in now because we could go on about that for decades. So. <laughs> I know. We've been talking about this for weeks. <laughs> All the weeks we didn't post an episode, we're just sitting in our apartment just talking about these deep subjects. <laughs> Everyone's asking me. Intertwined with episodes of Dallas, it's <laughs> <laughs> know. You know, important stuff. <laughs> anyway, okay. Back to reality Back here. to him. Yeah. <laughs> So not only is it hard to understand why it's important to care for women in prison and see them as a vulnerable population. Right. Because there is that bias that if you're in prison, you belong there. But women in prison are also treated significantly worse than men while they're in prison. Like, for example... They lack access to feminine hygiene products, which should be a basic human right because it's a necessary product for women to live their lives. These items are severely underfunded to begin with, but women also have to pay for them in prison. And these products should just be openly available because if we look at gender equality, it should be a basic human right to have access to something we have little to no control over to help us thrive in our daily lives but mel Mm -hmm. if you just hand out tampons to every little person (laughs) who has a period Mm -hmm. aren't they just gonna abuse that system (laughs) (laughs) like you can use a tampon for just about anything right like like what like chronic nosebleeds (laughs) maybe (laughs) she's the man (laughs) it just soaks it right up (laughs) but on a serious note and that's only a small fraction of what those women go through of the issues that exist again that's something we deeply want to dive into and discuss we will be talking about that a lot more i also want to talk about anti-shackling laws yeah yeah i have so many so many ideas about that and um yeah we'll be we're we're gonna probably have to do like we'll We'll do it. We'll do it. We'll do a whole series. But um, (laughs) but (laughs) but uh, just going off of this specific issue that these women face, I was just wondering if you saw the major gender equality and public health win out of Scotland recently. Wait, where's my confetti? Do we have do we have some confetti laying around? I mean, all from the, my health assessment, all the confetti you <laughs> threw on the floor, Mel, it's right there. But um, Scotland, it's so exciting. It's yeah. so exciting. Scotland passed a law making period products freely available to all those who have periods. Yeah. So this is public health in action and it makes them literally this is what public health in action is and it makes them the first country to pass this kind of legislation so this is how you take care of 
a community. You see the needs of the people and you create programs or a public policy change that helps them survive and thrive. Yeah. And I just want to touch on, I feel like there's different ways that that statement you just said, survive and thrive, Mm -hmm. can be used. Mm -hmm. Um, Because when you say it, you have an understanding of it from like global health studies. But there's a bit of an overlap there with education, Mm -hmm. and we use it in a different way. Um, I actually learned a lot about this from the author Bettina Love. Okay. Um, She, I believe, has her doctorate in education Mm -hmm. um and she talked a lot about how in education especially with students who are by poc or from immigrant families Mm -hmm. or families struggling with poverty they're often just surviving within the education system and our goal as educators is through building an equitable school and classroom culture is to bring them all up into thriving. So in education, we see those as two different things. And while surviving is great, Mm -hmm. we want everybody to be above that and to be fully thriving. Totally. I think from the global health perspective, surviving and thriving literally means (laughs) how you said anti-death. Like (laughs) 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 It's prolonging life, preventing death. And then thriving while you're living. But I like, I haven't heard that before in education, so that's kind of exciting. Yeah. So what does it mean technically to make period products freely available to all women who have periods? Because the traditional mindset is that only women have periods, and that's untrue. Exactly. It's, um, I mean, I'm a member of the LGBTQIA plus community, and... Many others in that community, specifically non-binary and trans folks, have periods regardless of gender norms, Mm -hmm. and they deserve the same access. And through Scotland's legislation, they are going to be receiving the same access to period products. And just a quick reminder about some of the gender terminology. Mm -hmm. Um, Cisgender women, meaning women who appear and identify with the gender given at birth, are not the only ones who still have the reproductive organs that allow for periods to occur. For those who may be wondering, um, also non-binary is one example of a gender identity that exists outside of male or female. Mm -hmm. Non-binary people often use they, them pronouns and do not associate with specific gender labels. Yeah. Not just gender labels, but also gender conforming clothing or... They might be more fluid within how they represent themselves, wearing feminine clothing one day and what we consider masculine clothing the next. Mm -hmm. It's about living outside. Literally, non-binary is living outside of the binary of male and female. The social construction of what being a man or being a woman in society is. Yes. And transgender people are people whose gender identity does not match the gender they were labeled or assigned at birth. Mm -hmm. While there is a large spectrum of gender identities and how people operate within their identity, what Scotland has done through this legislation should be looked at by so many other countries and not just for gender equality, but also for bringing more access and understanding to those in the LGBTQIA plus community 
um, who are often less left out of the conversation surrounding health or treated differently. Because of who they are. Because of who they are. Right. Um, And the cool thing, okay, the cool thing about this legislation is that there's now a framework for other countries to implement something similar. And this should be taken seriously and taken into consideration because I just, I could say so much about menstruation. (laughs) (laughs) It's, It's basically like what Scotland's done is like public policy trend setting. They're like starting the wave of the future right. which wave just Public makes policy me transit. think more about periods the word wave oh. Do you remember that in clueless when she's like i'm surfing the crimson wave no <laughs> <laughs> i had to haul ass to the ladies <laughs> no well okay so public health defines the social change that creates health behavior change so i like your term public policy trend setting <laughs> That's kind of funny. But yeah, full circle. Full circle. Full circle. Right. So we mentioned public health and action at the community level in Scotland and also in Oregon with the decriminalization. Yeah, I feel like we've really touched on that through most of the subject matter mm-hmm. of this episode. Yeah, but I also wanted to bring up a personal story of a public health and action that I experienced Um, so, you know, like thinking back to how I mentioned, it took me 11 years to get my bachelor's degree. I worked really hard to find a field that felt meaningful to me, but I wouldn't have been able to succeed without the support from one of my mentors, Rocky. And (laughs) I, um, you know, I love Rocky, but I was lucky enough to meet him through a friend and her partner. And he's an engineer by trade, but he was so invested in my success that he tutored me in epidemiology, pathology, and public health law at least two times a week over nine, a nine-month period. And he bought the same textbooks as me, and he followed along with le- weekly lesson plans and made sure that I understood the course material to the best of my ability. And I'm just, I'm so grateful that someone who was a complete stranger to me in the beginning recognized that I needed a specific type of support within my education during my senior year. And it was just, it was such a difficult, I was pushing so hard to finish that year. Right. Senior year of your undergrad is a tough one. And it's, it's just a lot. I remember it. Mm. And having any extra support is so so wonderful i feel like not necessarily just the way you did yeah but whether it's therapy or family support or for Mm -hmm. me during my senior year it was going out to karaoke wednesday nights with the whole photo department (laughs) (laughs) and making that time for ourselves you know and i know there there may be some people out there right now even though we're on episode three, who are like, how is that public health in action? But if you recall what we've been talking about Mm -hmm. and what the word of the day is, is intersectionality. And that support impacts every other part of your life. Because if you're feeling that support in one way Mm -hmm. and able to be successful in your education, that's like a little bit of a lighter load that you have to carry mentally and physically and Mm -hmm. school really 
does weigh on you physically sometimes. It's amazing, like, what mental stress can do to your body. Right, and Rocky helped me thrive. He helped me survive through my classes and thrive. I got really good grades in those classes, yeah. (laughs) Um, But, you know, graduating at 28 is a rather isolating experience in a way because all of my friends followed the traditional timeline and were already working in their field. And two of my friends studied public health and they always kept themselves available to talk with me about certain things I learned about. But so great. yeah, I mean, it was awesome. But Rocky helped me on a weekly schedule and gave me the this consistency at a time when I was just really busy and needing that in right. my life. I'm sure it grounded you a little it bit. It grounded me. And it like a specific like regimen almost. Right. And it felt good to have someone to have a conversation with about the things I was learning about that was just like there in person with me. And it that was I could talk to. It was specific to, to my yeah. courses. Yeah. And his, his tutoring and mentorship grew into this really great friendship and he means everything to me. And now that I've graduated, he's still just as involved in my life and is a big part of my support system. And, you know, access to education is, in a way, a form of freedom. We have a couple things to cheers to. We do. This week. I clapped we about could. it. Um, I know. <laughs> Cheerleader <laughs> Keely over here. Uh, oh, hi, first, Keely. we wanted to cheers to pets. Uh, like we said at the top of the episode, we added a new little pal to our home this month. <laughs> I adopted a kitten from the Oregon Humane Society. He's very cute and small and sometimes wild. And his name is Cricket. Yeah. (laughs) But, you know, I think he has some good nicknames. No. Yes. Nope. His name is Cricket. Cricket is hard for me to say sometimes, so I think we should go with, like, Rick or Ricky. I'm anti... Ricky Martin. (laughs) No, I'm uh, anti-Rick names. <laughs> oh my god, get you're it. a dad. I'm such a dad. You're Let dad. me go get my um, list of New dad Balance jokes. shoes. Oh no, some cargo pants. <laughs> Ooh, maybe I'll get those cargo belt. pants that zip off in the summer and turn into shorts. A phone that clips to the side of your belt. <laughs> Remember when you called him Ricketts <laughs> instead of Cricket? That's <laughs> true. Um, so we wanted to say cheers to Cricket, but also to Buttercup, Minute, Artie, and Pete, the two African (laughs) dwarf frogs, and to my fish Dorito and Frito, and possibly rest in peace to Cheeto, who hasn't been seen for a couple of days. He could be hiding in the tank, but I doubt it. He went to Sydney. P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney. (laughs) Straight down the drain. All drains lead to the ocean. Be free, rest in peace. If you're Cheeto, dead. be free, Cheeto. Cheeto. <laughs> oh my god. Cheeto. Okay, wait, back to Buttercup real quick. Do you remember what happened the other night? Yeah. <laughs> oh my god. Okay, I said <laughs> I said, as I do to all the pets, I said, Good night, Buttercup <laughs> to her. And then I hear Mel from her bedroom go, Good night. <laughs> like so sweetly and genuinely. <laughs> I thought you were talking to me. <laughs> oh, because I, I call you, you were... Buttercup so frequently. <laughs> Saying goodnight to me. <laughs> the amount of embarrassment I felt immediately after. <laughs> it was 
just the best moment, though. It was so great. It was like, I thought you were making a joke. <laughs> Being like, that was sincere. Like, like when somebody calls some, like, an animal so cute, and it's another dad yeah. joke, you know? Like, when you're like, oh, you're so cute, and the dad goes, <laughs> no. no, I'm dad, or something. <laughs> no, I don't joke about sincerity. I don't joke about <laughs> That's true. That's true. On a slightly more serious note, and especially in recognition of November being National American Indian Heritage Month, we want to take a moment to acknowledge that this podcast is made on the land of Clackamas, Cowlitz, and the Confederated Tribes of Grand Ronde. We use the app Native Land to learn about this, and we just think it's really important Mm to acknowledge the ownership of this land as being taken from indigenous people. And they Mm -hmm. face so much societal erasure that, I mean, as a teacher, we're fighting to reteach right now. We're learning about it, how to reteach history to include them more accurately because it's even... I mean, for my first grade class that I'm student teaching with right now, there's three of us. There's two student teachers Mm -hmm. and one first grade teacher that's been doing it for years. And we're struggling to find elementary aged books that accurately portray indigenous peoples. I just think it's so important to acknowledge their history with the land that was so wrongfully taken from them. If you haven't heard of this app and you're curious to learn about the land that you live on, download Native Land. It's free and it's so interesting. I've also used it. This is not an advertisement. This is for not. But it's genuine. But it's it's really genuine. I've used it in other places in Oregon yeah. too, pre-pandemic. Right. Within the last couple years, I've noticed a lot of places in Portland specifically acknowledging the land. There's one of the, mm-hmm. um, I went to a play last December at one of the theaters downtown. And before the play started, (laughs) they said um, this theater was built on the lands of these indigenous people. And I don't remember specifically. It's probably some of the same ones I listed Mm -hmm. because it's it's not far from here. Yeah. But that was really meaningful, I think, that they Mm -hmm. took the time to do that. Mm -hmm. Um, But yeah, cheers to all of the above, but especially wonderful mentors, Mm -hmm. new kittens, and taking the time to relearn history to include all the people in it. And to popping that privilege bubble that we all love to live in. Pop it. Pop it right up. (laughs) (laughs) Cheers to that. Cheers.